0: Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world.
1: I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that
2: military and veteran entrepreneurs have.
0: We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody. It is Friday. It is 1 p.m. on the West Coast, which can only mean one, t- one thing. It is time for the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. I am your host, Josh Carter. Carmen is out this week. Uh, we wish her uh, Merry Christmas and all the things that go with the happy holidays uh, for next week. If you are unfamiliar with the show, well, welcome. We are happy that and delighted that you are here. Uh, we will be spending the next hour getting to know veteran founders who are doing amazing things in the marketplace, creating new things and just doing really cool shit. So uh, without further ado, I'm really excited because this week we have two guests, which is awesome. We have Doug Hurst and John McGilligott. See, I didn't screw that up. Third order effects. I am so excited. Welcome both uh, John and Doug to the program. Thank,
1: Thank you, you very well, much. Happy be, very happy to be here.
0: Yeah. So we are going to spend a little bit of time getting to know you guys. So John, let's start with you. You, uh, are You spent some time in the military, right?
2: Yes, and I'm still in. I've been serving with the Army Reserve, and I started out in the quartermaster branch of the Army, and now I've been in civil affairs for several years.
0: That's and My awesome. current
2: position with the Army Reserve is a team chief.
0: Now, quartermaster in the Army is a little different than quartermaster in the Navy, which is what I was when I, was, when I served, but of course I served decades ago. So uh, I'm, I'm really curious. I want to hear a bit about your origin story. Like, What, what compelled you to join, jo- uh, join the Army?
2: Yeah, so it started uh, after serving the Peace Corps uh, after undergraduate, and I went over to West Africa and got transferred over to uh, East Africa. And so it was Kotiwar in the Madagascar and came back, went to graduate school, started a career in public health and health policy issues, and eventually got to the point where, you know, my age was getting up there and I thought, boy, I really want to go back to do national service. Um like, uh, like Bill Murray and, you know, his reasons for joining the Army and that, that great movie that came out years ago. Um, you know, a, a way to stay in shape. You know, I thought Green went well pretty well with my outfit. So I thought, <laughs> hey, join the Army, um, you know, get to see other Americans, get to explore amazing things, shoot a bunch of weapons, you know, sleep in a hole somewhere. And uh, that was what I wanted to do. So I uh, decided to do as an officer applied to the ocs program and fortunately they I, they let me in they haven't figured out the problem yet
0: that's awesome i love it so does that mean doug is your john candy to your bill murray he
2: is <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I i hadn't really thought about it like that but uh, you know, i'm sure we can make that work
2: right tells it all yeah
0: that's awesome doug let's let's talk a little bit about you uh, what uh, what branch of the service did you join and, and what was your reason for joining
1: well, mine's is a, a little bit longer history. Um, I have almost four decades in the Army when I retired last June. Um, I joined uh, r- literally right out of high school. I, my parents had to sign for me at 17.
0: You and I, I have a similar story. I had to do the exact same <laughs> thing. I love it.
1: I, I spent eight years as an enlisted soldier and... Um, went to OCS much like John did, but many, many, many years earlier than John did, and had a wonderful thirty year career as a commissioned officer and retired as a colonel um, last June. And
0: Congratulations.
1: So, yeah. It's um I always people always ask the question, why did you join or what made you join? Things like that. You know, I would, my birthday is I was born on the fourth of July. So there seemed to be something predestined that I would do something, but, you know, it it was a nice career.
2: I had a great time.
0: Yeah, I, that's that's amazing. I, and thank you both for your service. This is uh, really cool. I I love uh, every week that we get to talk to amazing veterans, and, and uh, you two definitely have a great background. I'm really curious. Um, John, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, let, let's dig a bit deeper. You said you were in the Quartermaster Corps uh, initially, but what is your role today, and how do you think it relates to being an entrepreneur?
2: Yeah, great question. So I do uh, what's called civil affairs for the Army, uh, the Army and the Marine Corps both have civil affairs. Uh, the Navy got out of the business uh, a couple of years ago, probably around the time when Army started beating them with football. And Ouch. They
0: said, hey, oh. Hey. <laughs> it's all right. 14 years, that's all Go I'm going to say. You know.
2: That's right. <laughs> and civil affairs is all about um, interacting with uh, local populations. It's the interface between uh, the, the Army, the land force, and um, – and the local government or, or higher, you know, ministerial affairs of a local host government or wherever we're occupying some area, we have to provide basic services. Uh, we have to influence that population to whatever our military ends are. And so um, we call it the civil affairs, military government branch of the Army. And it's a great connection to being an entrepreneur because, especially on the reserve side, because we have have day jobs that are applicable. We either work in the government or we have our own companies or work for someone else, and so there's that crossover constantly of living in the civilian world and living in the military world, and it does lend itself to coming up with ideas that may translate into a business.
0: Yeah, I, it, it seems like it. Uh, Doug, same question like, what do you, in your 30 year career? I mean, I would imagine. There are a lot of parallels between sort of building a product and building a service and building a company and leading a team in the military. What do you think has set you up during your lengthy and, and amazing career that set you up to be a successful entrepreneur?
1: Well, I think that there is something in the you have to have in your blood to, to be an entrepreneur. Um, it, there is something slightly different in the DNA. So when you have that in your DNA you catch on to things either throughout life or in your career or previous jobs that kind of set that on fire a little bit. And also being a civil affairs officer and traveling around the world. And I, I've traveled to 28 different countries. I worked with amazing people all over the world and seeing that it, it just kind of ignited our passion for kind of how third order effects started and, and what we hope to do with it. Um, so I I guess to answer your question, pretty much everything I did as a leader in the Army built up to a part um, that that fire was kind of already lit in my belly a little bit to be an entrepreneur, and then when I retired, was ready to go at it full force.
0: What's intriguing though yeah. is you spend thirty years in the in the military, and and John, you're still in it. But the military is very much structured, right? There's this you know very compelling uh, mission, and that's the there's a, an objective, and you drive towards that mission. And being an entrepreneur could be very similar, but the structure is very different, and how you get to those endpoints is very different. How do you think you two adjust to to those kind of differences? Well,
1: I think the the key difference is. Um part of the military that we're in. I started out in traditional uh, branch, uh, much like John did. I was an artillery officer for a number of years, but civil affairs is part of Army Special Operation Forces, and there is something in Army Special Operations that thinks outside the And I know that's very cliche to say that, but it it's not your traditional uh, rank-and-file Military, what we call the general-purpose force, which is very important. We have to have that. But being in civil affairs has helped us see, look at things differently, um, which I think is crucial as an entrepreneur. You you can't just you know get up in the morning and automatically everything is going to be there for you. You know, like it is you know in a normal job. You have to build it. And in many cases, we are in a small team put on the ground to work with the foreign military and the civilian population. And we have to figure out how to do that. So there's, there's a lot of similarities there.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Go ahead. And I'll add that. I think you would get this, I think from seasoned NCOs or officers who've gone through the planning process. You understand that you, you put a plan together and at first contact, it's going to change or you're for some exercise or some battle assembly. We call them in the reserve. And it just goes to shit. You know, you don't get the ranges you need, or the ranges are not working, or the vehicles are not running properly, and you just have to adjust on the fly, or the night before. And you get used to that. And I think that's a great skill that you can bring into a company because you're constantly having to bootstrap it and adjust, especially small businesses.
0: Yeah, and I think the biggest difference uh you know between the military and being an entrepreneur is in the military if you fail or if you you know are struggling there's a whole team around you to pick yourself you know pick a, pick everybody up and sort of pick up the slack. In a small company, small team, that doesn't exist. How do you think you guys have been able to you know get around that adversity?
1: I think you're correct. In what you said, in a training environment, however, that failure in actual, whether it's combat or working with a foreign military or something, it does have a greater consequence. And so knowing what that balance is and so our day-to-day interactions is kind of looking at the, in a training environment where you get to fail a little bit. But we also know what it's like to have a lot on the line and we're prepared you know, to adjust for that as well.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely. I think that's that's a, a good way to put it. So, let's talk a little yeah. bit about your guys' transition out of the military. John, let's talk about you, you know, you're still in, but what do you think um what do you think's going to happen when you transition out? mean, anyway, reserves is sort of like this I don't I don't want to call it part-time because that definitely diminishes its value, but it's sort of this part-time thing with the with the the army yeah. while doing your your company. How it, how difficult is that to transition from one to the other?
2: right, yeah good question, and I think uh, well, it is part time um, and people can be in the reserve components in the National Guard or the Army Reserve, for example, and go on orders and they could be full time, mm-hmm. but they're in that still that duty status um, I mean you have to carry you have to be in both worlds at the same time, and people who have i've seen this, but people who have been in this scenario before me have said you know one side of your career is always going to be um there's always going to be a detriment to what you're doing. So you have to maybe sometimes go ahead with your civilian career or the business that you're trying to grow. Sometimes you're going to go deploy or do an exercise. Like in a few months, I have to go back with my unit to the national training center for rotation. That's a whole month where I'm going to be incommunicado and cannot really do much progress with Doug and the company. Sure. So at times you just have, you hit these roadblocks and you have to adjust. Um, you know, now that we have, the two of us and we have an advisory board to assist us. That's great. So people can pick up the slack and, and adjust and help, but, um, it would be very difficult. I think, you know, Doug went through decades of serving
0: hmm.
2: when I get to that point where I've reached, you know, if I still enjoy it, and I want to go to 20 years and my wife supports me, then I'll go for it. Um, if I don't enjoy it, then I can put in my paperwork and separate, you know, I'll still have uh, the company to grow. Um, but right now, I think it's a, it's a good balance, and I enjoy it. I really like working with the men and women who are serving, and I like having this, for me, part-time working and growing the company, and Doug is doing it full-time.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. We've been talking to Doug Hurst and John McGilligott of Third Order Effects. We'll be right back with this first uh, commercial break from CPA Dudes. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. And we're back. Uh, We've been talking to uh, Doug Hurst and John McGilligot uh, of Third Order FX. Uh, Doug, I want to talk to you. You've had such a, a lengthy career. How difficult has it been, or has it been difficult for you to transition out of something that was very structured into something like you know going into the business world? And, and how was that transition for you?
1: Um, <laughs> that's a really good question. It, is, it it was unknown. So John and I actually started this company on paper um anyways march of 2017. um we had the idea probably six months prior to that and then started putting together paperwork but all all the the whole time knowing that i could not really engage in it until i left active duty um and so knowing that i had that waiting on me i think made my transition a lot easier than somebody else Um, it is still an emotional event you know you're doing something for that long of a period of time and then all of a sudden you stop doing it Um, it it does take a little bit of adjusting Um, but having this waiting um, I mean I was really just anxious to get started and so when I took the boots off and kind of put the uniform up and had the retirement ceremony and it was official. Um, It was just time to dig in and start on this and it made that transition a lot easier.
0: What's intriguing about your story is a lot of, you know, especially, uh, I'll use me as an, as an example. I got out of the military, went to school, went to the workforce, and then sort of started a business when I felt compelled to. Your story is so intriguing because you spent 30 plus years in the military. And then when you transitioned, you went right into a business that you started. You didn't like go, it wasn't, there was no stopgap into the corporate world. You just sort of went right into it. So it's intriguing to me, uh, especially the transition piece of it and how you've been able to adapt. But it sounds like it hasn't been that big of a deal.
1: No, and it it takes more than just going in. It certainly takes, um, and John touched on this, your family support, you know, um, having people knowing that, hey, my hours are going to be weird. I've got to do what I've got to do to get this business going and and get it um, off the ground. And having that support network, very similar to the support network you have to have in place when you're in the military. And fortunate to have that uh, with my wife and family and my children that, They all support that, and it made, again, part of that transition much easier to do.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up because I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand that um, your family goes through this with you as well, and they've got to be ready for it. And if you've spent 30-plus years in the military and then you're going to go into something that's going to impact them again, you you really got to get their buy-in. So it's good to hear that it sounds like they've been very supportive.
1: Well, for from my younger daughter's perspective, so long as I'm not deploying anywhere for eight months, she's she's perfectly fine with it.
0: <laughs> That's good. That's good. John, talk a little bit about uh, you know let's let's dive into the idea around third order effects. Um, where where did it come from, and and why this space? Yeah.
2: So Doug and I, uh, when he was Colonel Doug Hurst and uh, Lieutenant then First Lieutenant uh, McEligot, down at the Institute for Military Support to Governance at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, the army calls it the center of the universe mm-hmm. it's the home of special operations forces where all the uh special forces and civil affairs and psyop soldiers are trained you've got the uh 82nd airborne down there i've got a lot of other units operating out of fort Prag. and the army realized years ago well it's probably i'd say 10 years ago or so there were two uh three-star generals who said we want to put some money into this new unit very small unit um that would figure out, go back to the drawing board and try to figure out what the army needed to do for military support to governance. So if we roll into an area and we occupy it, um, we need to be able to interface with local mayors at at the local, national, regional levels, and who would be the people who have to do that job and what jobs do they have to do. So I was brought in as a public health advisor to figure out what public health jobs would have to be done and whether we could find people Uh, in the Army Reserve or the National Guard and bring them over to do that type of work. And how do we classify them? What training do they need? Et cetera. Um, We did that in an old elementary school in the center of Fort Bragg. Uh, And Doug and many other people got there months before I arrived, had scrounged around the base and found desks and chairs. It was really like a startup environment. Um, It was about 10 people led by a one-star general. And it was a great idea. Um, That lasted for a couple of years. I was there for I think uh, six months total, and eventually they just ran out of money and there wasn't enough support. But the demand was still there and is still there today. And we decided to take some of those concepts and privatize it. And so we have a, a essentially a private network of people who are prepared to do governance advising, um, whether it's economic, or rule of law, or health, or some other sector.
0: Which is so hard because a lot, you know, I run a nonprofit. And it's hard to figure out where to get engaged in the government. And so I think you guys are filling a really important need. Talk about, like, why why was this such an important problem for you guys to solve? And why now? Why is now the right time?
2: Yeah, let me take the- that first. Oh, go ahead. So, I mean, the the Army's trying to up its game, I think, um, to figure out the skills and the background, the experience that people currently serving. They just don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. They don't know what my day job is. They don't know my, my civilian skills, what I bring to the table. Um, they're trying to improve their database to figure that out. And the civilian side, people mainly do that by having a LinkedIn profile. Right. Or having some other information out there for the world to see. Um, you know, they put information on Facebook. But it's for professional uh, networking, it's really LinkedIn. And so we're trying to meld the two, the, the traditional role of contracting with the gig economy of 2018, 2019. Um, Doug. Yeah, I think I was
1: going to add to that is um, the demand has has been there for, you know, a couple decades, probably five decades since the end of World War II, Um, and when we started out the wars 18 years ago um, in both Iraq and Afghanistan, the requirement to provide governance, military governance, did not go away. Unfortunately, there was just nobody trained to do it. So what we happened, and, and why the IMSG and a couple of the generals that came up with the idea to start it um, did it, is they saw that these division commanders and were you know put it out in the field. They're in, in Iraq. They're given a, a province, and they're like, "Go govern it." <laughs> well. That's okay because these guys are you know trained to do anything, right? They can surely they can you know run a government. Well, they they can't, and you know they're trained to blow things up. They're trained to run a division. They're and the brigade commanders are trained to run a brigade. And so what they ended up doing is going to the National Guard and Reserve units that were attached to them, and it's like does anybody in here happen to know how to run an election? <laughs> does anybody in here happen to know how to restart? You know at a utility plant and sometimes they got lucky sometimes there would be somebody in the reserve unit or an national guard unit that their civilian skill set would do that and so that's kind of the genesis of how this came about to realize the need's been there we just haven't been doing the job as an army or as a military that we have the responsibility to do because um, it's not the priority um and so after spending a couple of years of fort bragg on this problem set it became obvious that the military still wasn't going to put the money towards it that needed to, um, and again, rightfully so. And that was towards the end of the bomb era. The money was shrinking. It wasn't increasing for the military, so you know they had to balance out where they're going to put money. But that didn't do away with the problem. And so John and I both, um, as many good companies are born out of, sitting around an apartment at night with a bottle of wine talking about how we're going to solve all the world's problems, decided, you know what? Maybe we can solve this problem, or maybe we at least solve a piece of it. And we're passionate about it as civil affairs officers because we see the interaction between the military and the civilian and how many times it's been done poorly and how passionate are we that it's done correctly and if we can go out into the world and build a profitable con- company and at the same time solve this very important problem of providing governance advisors at the ministerial provincial tribal level whichever level it may be
2: um then i think we've accomplished something yeah right. that's a great point point. i'll add you know that doug you talk about going back to world war ii and after Europe was destroyed, we had military governors helping to reestablish, you know, using the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe. Same thing in Japan. Did that in Korea. We kind of screwed the pooch in Iraq recently. Um, reading the, the book right now, uh, War and the Art of Governance by Nadia Shadlow, and she talks about uh, Jay Garner as the first person in charge there, the coalition provisional authority in the transition, said, yeah, I didn't really think about the day after. Well, the day after needs to be thought about and planned for cuz it's always going to happen. Right. You know, after you, you roll through and you occupy you take over some place, well, who's going to be in charge? And it's they, not they like they thought that it was Yeah, and it's not yeah. like
0: any of this is our first rodeo, right? Like we've done this a few times. Right. And you figure we figure how to iterate on rebuilding or you know, finding a way to plug in some civilian way to like build telephone towers and put water back into homes and, you know, all the infrastructure stuff that is needed once Everything, all the conflict is over.
2: That's right, or during conflict. I mean, it's sure. a it's a gray area that the DoD needs to care about and is doing somewhat. uh State Department and USAID as well. So there's a lot of money that's out there for this type of work. And this week we talk about Afghanistan, the possible drawdown of some forces. Right. You know, if if uh, the plan that Eric Prince has put out there to to have some contractors go into Afghanistan, if that grows. He's told us, well, we need some people to do the governance piece. We need some people to plug into the uh, the ministries of Afghanistan. Well, that could be third order effects. It could be another company doing something, uh, you know, the mission that we have.
0: What what kind of problems have you guys, so this leaves, we can go down a whole rabbit hole here. I'll try to avoid it. What kind of what do you think is the biggest need right now? I mean, we talked about infrastructure, we've talked about, you know, governance and how to run an election and et cetera. But what do you think the greatest need is overall for the DOD, uh, and how can uh how how can third order effects help achieve that? How how can how can they achieve that goal? Well you're right, that is a pretty deep rabbit hole one, and and I'll I'll try to talk about a couple of it because
1: it's not that people are not aware of the problem. Again, it's a matter of managing resources and, um, and abilities. And our military is really, really good at blowing things up and taking over areas. I mean, they're, they're good at that. They were the best in the world. <laughs> um, it's, it's the other piece of it that what you do afterwards that they're not, it's not that people don't realize that it's a problem. It's just, it's just one of those too hard to deal with. So we're, as John just mentioned, where Thor effects comes in, and and if I can go out to a side note just for a second, what we found over the past year as we've started to put this thing together is how many other people are also passionate about this. So I have about 1,400 people that receive our current distribution and uh, 70 that have actually... You know, signed up with this, put their all their info in and their skill sets and their, their languages and everything. We have people that have experience in over 50 different countries and I think 75 different languages um, right now. And as we started to put this out there, people were like, I've seen that problem firsthand. Because I was either an army lieutenant, a, a major, I was somewhere, or I was a civilian working for Department of State, but they saw the problem firsthand. And so it resonates with them when we tell them what it is we're trying to accomplish. And I'm like, hey, if I can be a piece of that, I, I'd love to be able to try to figure out that you know how we, how we fix that. Um, I'm not uh, grandiose enough in my vision to think that we're going to solve the world's problems, but if we can solve
2: a piece of it, you know, I'll be happy with that.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's yeah. a great way to put that. Go ahead, John. Sorry. You
2: talk about the, the biggest problem that the DoD or that the military may have, and you know, I think we're very good at, at shooting things and blowing things up. Um, and whether it's your company or the government, people often talk about how your people are your greatest resource. Well, the military is probably the worst at managing its people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so that's probably the area of the greatest improvement. And... You don't always have to find people in uniform. You could contract with other folks who have the right mix of skills. I think uh, Congress has, in the last year or so, authorized the greatest updates in personnel policies. Of, you know, since the last 50, 60 years, um, there had no previously been no policy that authorized them to take somebody like Mark Zuckerberg and put them in uniform if they needed cyber skills. And then, what rank and what experience would you? Allow him to get right away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That wasn't even possible. Now that is. And now there's more flexibility in the system to do that. Um, I think they should think outside the box a little bit, and they should be working with companies like Third Order Effects who can plug and play based on what the mission scenario set is.
0: It's intriguing to me to see the different branches figure out how to do this. And and, and I'll give you an example. This. The Air Force just created this AFWorks? Uh, group right, And it's really just meant to figure out how the Air Force can do a better job at, at plugging into the startup ecosystem and really driving innovation, and and I think the Army has the same thing. I think they I don't know what they call it, but they have. I know the Army has something very similar, and the Navy and and all the branches have some sort of thing. But AvForce is definitely the one that's sort of like really leading the charge for innovation and technology startups. I, what I find compelling is that we're in twi- we're just about into 2019. And the branches of the military are just trying to start to figure this out, even though, as we've already discussed, it's been a problem for a long time. What do you think? Well, let's where are we at? We're at we want to do another commercial break real quick. All on. We're going to do a quick commercial break and then we're going to go back and talk about what the military can do to, to better uh, engage. So here we go.
2: Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance... Media Relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this. Press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh
0: sent you. Ah, Love Carmen's voice. Miss her to death. All right, and we're back. We're here with Doug Hurst and John Miguelagot of Third Order Effects. We've been talking about how, you know the greatest need between sort of the DoD and the private sector, and how this can all benefit uh, you know growth after we've left someplace. So, so Doug, I'm really curious. What? How do people engage you guys, and how do you get them plugged in? So, if I was say. You know, a contractor specializing in network or something like that. How would I get plugged into third order effects and and how would you get me plugged into the DoD?
1: Well, one of the things that I hope shows like this is getting the word out. Um, we are also using social media, um, LinkedIn and Twitter and things to um, kind of spread the word and, and expand our network. Um, the network itself is kind of self-replicating because um, um, everybody knows somebody else that has a skill set. And so uh, that has been one of our, our biggest ways. And then as entrepreneurs, we are. Doing whatever other entrepreneur does, we're just you know pounding the pavement. You know, we're we're making phone calls. We're trying to set up you know interviews with people um, to kind of see what their needs are. We're going to events where we know uh, government contractors um, are, are going to be. Um, all those things that you do when you start out um, to try and get the word out about your company.
0: So, so if I'm a government contractor and I engage you guys. How easy is it for your, for me as a general as a contractor to get plugged into the ecosystem?
1: Well, into our ecosystem, it's extremely easy. You go to our website. There is a you know join our team link, and it, it has a quick way to fill out a form to give some initial show of interest, and then we'll respond to them and give a a more detailed and and what we tell people much like LinkedIn. It, it doesn't cost you anything to join our network. Um, we may have the opportunity to employ you, or we may not, but we want to be able to have that expertise available, whatever that expertise is, and,
2: and then you will grow from there.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah,
2: so if Josh and Carmen applied tomorrow to join Third Order Effects, you would do so online. You would self-identify your areas of expertise. You would upload a CV or resume we would look at all that information. We would ask for references and additional information, like what languages do you speak? Do you have a security clearance and what is it? Um, where have you deployed? If you've served in the in uniformed services, how many years? Um, if you, as a civilian, where have you worked? You know, it's good that you had, you may have degrees, maybe you have an MBA. Well, good for you. Well, what have you done with that MBA? Mm-hmm. It's the experience that's more beneficial for us as a company and for eventually the client. So. Um, you know, I have an m p h degree. Doug has degrees, but it's it 's what what have you used that degree for? Mm-hmm. Have you started a company? Well, fantastic. Maybe you can go to another country and advise somebody else about startups or cooperatives and so um, as Doug said, people sit in that network until there 's a match, and the name third order effects comes from the idea that we want some smart people to advise the clients about what are the second and third order effects of the actions that they're planning for or what they've already taken and to look ahead around the curve, all right? The, the left of bang stuff that we talk about in the military and um, to anticipate a little bit. And so some case studies, for example, you could look at are um, the crossover between the military and health issues as is my background. So the Brazilian military and some militaries in central South America really cared a lot about Zika virus because it was coming up to the Olympics um, it's just a national security issue because it affected a lot of uh, people uh, who got sick and died themselves, but also for children. Um, and oh, by the way, there were the effects on tourism because many of those countries thought about tourism dollars and it kept Americans and Canadians and other uh, European tourists from traveling down there. Those are the types of things that an organization like Third World Effects that has people who look at uh, question or problem from different perspectives could advise a client in, in considering. So, if I could add one, yeah, go for One it. more thing to, to that. Um,
1: something else that we we've added that uh, we don't really see as the typical solution, uh, but when you think about it, it, it just makes sense. And that is the reach cap- back, reach back capability to an expert. Our contracts are written to deploy someplace somebody to a country someplace for a period of time it's not really matching up an expertise with a problem for example if you have a problem in africa or root rust for a certain type of um, agriculture and you already have somebody that's working on the problem. They have a background in that, but not really that one. Well, you want to reach back to a, a network of experts that has an expertise in that, but doesn't need to deploy to do that. It just may be a Skype call. But we want to have that, that expert available so that whether we're deploying them for a year or whether we are just need them on the phone call for one hour to answer a question to make sure that we're getting, you know, as, as John just you know, said about our name, are we thinking through the first and second, third order effects so that we're actually solving the problem for long-term, but again, not deploying somebody just for the sake of deploying somebody.
0: Sure. So, you know, on your website, you guys have your services listed as governance, advising, building partner capacity, training, and general contracting. And it seems like those are great services, but in of of itself, in the individual services, how did you guys come up with the services that you guys were going to provide? And was it important for you guys to provide all four at once? Or did you guys pick a lane first and then expand after you got good at you know that first thing?
1: Well, the governance advising is what we did, what we're, we're talking about at Fort Bragg. You know, that was looking at the problem of what does it take to have good governance? And the Army did us a favor, and they paid for a study um, put on by the um, – don't help me here. My mind just went blank. Naval um, Postgraduate School. Yeah, Naval Postgraduate School. And what they did is they looked at the problem of governance. And there's a lot of things of governance, and and we live in a in a Western world where there's multiple layers of governance. But they basically said to have good governance, you have to have cover these nineteen areas. And there's are some that John touched on earlier. You know, rule of law, health, you know, utilities. There, there's nineteen certain areas that for government to considered a good government you have to have these so that's what we focused on we took those 19 and we're looking for expertise in those areas now the building partner capacity and that those are all components of building good governance it mm-hmm. is providing you know that expert to come and advise you so you may be a country in Africa and you've got the rule of law figured out and you've got agriculture and you got some of these others but you're really suffering in the public health area so that's where we're bringing in that component to plug in that. You may not need all team, you just need one, you may need three. So have the expertise, and that's what building that partner capacity is. They already have some capacity. We're helping them build that capacity to be able to do it better.
0: That's great. Now, you guys have yeah. basically essentially built a two-sided market. Would you agree with that? You yes. Have, yes. Yeah, you have your your customers, which would be, say, the experts, and then you have the need on the other side how hard is it to build a two-sided market in this case
2: well (laughs) it 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 is tough um i mean it's because we're trying to do some government contracting it's at this time of the uh, evolution of america i think we are to some degree pulling back from engagements around the world uh we're certainly and troops out of Syria, likely some troops out of uh, Afghanistan, same maybe for Iraq. We still are expansive. We have people everywhere around the world, but we're in a phase right now where we are drawing back a little bit. Um, so I think we're building the company for engagements and elsewhere uh, around the world. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in Africa. Um, 2019 is this continuation of the gig economy. You could hire somebody to go do shopping for you or to do tasks and there are a lot of people now retiring from the baby boomer generation who are looking to do part-time work and consulting. So it works really well for them. It also works pretty well for people who are mid career. They've got a degree and got maybe five, 10 years, 15 years of experience. And they're looking to work from home. Maybe they could be the reach back capability. You know, maybe they're the expert who studied in their program, some random village, and tribe that's in some country where there's a military unit or USAID has got some project and wow, they they don't really know who to turn to. But We can dig into our network and find the right person and plug them into Skype or WhatsApp or use some other technology of today and connect connect them to the right people. Um, But it's also, I think, that the trend of trying to work with different parts of the government to say, well, okay, maybe it's not nation building, but there's other building partner capacity. There's another terminology for the same type of thing that the U.S. government will continue to do in parts of the world, um, you know, to engage with host nations to combat maybe Chinese expansion or uh, economic involvement in different parts of the world. So what we're doing, I think there's always going to be a connection, but it's a company needs to evolve as the trends of U.S. engagement around the world tend to evolve, and the same thing for private industry.
0: I would imagine it's really difficult to figure out sort of where the operational need is most, right? So, for example, you know we've been relaxing our relationship with Cuba, and so there's a lot of need to rebuild their infrastructure. And, and, uh, and I know a lot of startups uh, are starting out of Cuba, but the way they do things are wildly different than in the U.S. because of just the way the infra- infrastructure is set up, so there's a lot of opportunity in, say, Cuba – how do you guys identify where the biggest need is and how to plug those people in?
1: Well, part of it is looking at what Department of Defense and Department of State and other government agencies are saying they need. You know, that's the easy one. You know, if, if they put out a contract or a grant that says we need expertise in this country, well, that's pretty easy. You smash up to say, do we have expertise in that area and can we fulfill? Fool- potentially fulfill that contract. Sure. That's the easy one. As we grow, we would like to be a little bit more forward thinking and look for opportunities ourselves and other countries. And John said, you know, Africa, um, all over the world. And our network is not just us based. We have experts that are with us and a lot of other countries in the world. So those will be our eyes and ears to look for opportunities in Jordan and you know, some country that we have made. I know about right now, but because we have an expert um, who is connected to it, they will bring that opportunity to us and, and we'll be looking for creating our own opportunities, so to speak. Um, and much like Eric Prince is with Afghanistan. He has a reason that he is concerned about Afghanistan. Now, there's obviously a monetary benefit if you're a contractor that you get a contract and you get paid for it. But he looked out, he said, "You know what? 17 years of what's been happened over there has not been working. Um, I've got some experience in this. Let me just see if I can put up a plan. And he put up a plan and he says, "Here, what do you guys think? That's kind of where we would like to see ourselves in three or four years, um, where we're bringing solutions to, to problems that right now maybe somebody has not identified yet, mm-hmm. um, but we're identifying it. Um, But right now, it's kind of the the low hanging fruit. You know, the Department of State says we have a need right here, and here's the money to go do it. So we'll say, okay, well, we think we can fulfill that contract.
0: Aside from this, is easier
2: to do than certain products. Yeah. Think about product lines. If you're a veteran entrepreneur and you build a new bicycle and no one's buying that bike, you need to adjust and make something else to sell. Yeah. The services that we're providing and the people in the network can more nimbly evolve over time. You know, we could shut down, focus on, on one region of the world or one country in particular. If it it's no longer the hot spot, and shift pretty quickly to another spot.
0: What's well, pretty imp- important to understand too, and I think what makes your guys' company so compelling is that uh, you pretty much have the inside track, right? You're already getting, the, you're already having these conversations. You already know what the need is. It's really just the other side, as I said earlier in the program, where you know me as a as a civilian who might have a product or service that could benefit the the military or some expertise. I, I don't know where to start. It's like double dutch with 15 ropes, right? I don't know how to jump in. And so I, what, what's so, so great about your company is that you've already, you kind of know where the need is. It's just finding those people and plugging them in and making the right connections. What I'm curious about, and then we'll take our last break, is really quickly, how do you guys make money? What's your business model? Obviously, it's a consultancy, but who pays the, the bills? You, you, to, you talked a little bit about grants, but what other ways are you guys uh, bringing revenue?
1: Well, right now it is that. It's it's through a government contract, whether it's through DOD or DOS or somebody, a government agency that has a contract available for a problem set that they've identified. And we work either with a partner um, as a sub, you know, for the bigger contract, maybe just a piece of it, um, or, you know, go out and, and bid for, you know, an entire job.
0: Nice. We've been talking to Doug Hurst and John McGilligut of Third Order Effects. We'll be right back after this word from Ruby Receptionists. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code StartupRuby. And we're back. Okay, so this is the part of the program that I I love because now it's how do we figure the things that you guys have screwed up. And so my first question is, during this journey, what is the worst thing you guys have screwed up, and how have you mitigated the risk of that happening again?
1: I cannot say that from my perspective, um, I, we've been fortunate we haven't really screwed up a lot of big things. You sure. know, there's been uh, some small things. And, and what you find is that things always take longer than you expected. It costs more than you expected. <laughs> you know, it's it's never. Um, and I think John said this right at the beginning. You know, a plan only survives first contact. As soon as you take that plan and you try to implement it, you you realize where the weaknesses were in your plan. Um, so fortunate we've not had a you know a lot of whoppers. You know, unlike wow, that really didn't go well at all. Um, and but we're learning every day. And the good thing is, they're not the kind of problems that we run into and that we get really discouraged. We're like, wow, okay, well, we know where not to go, but now we need to put our efforts over here and and we go that direction.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. We had to adjust um, in the first six months or year, adjust to uh, there there was a third co-founder who uh, we decided to buy out, and and he's staying on our advisory board, which is fantastic. Um, Fellow Army veteran, uh, still serving, it just didn't have the time that was available for the business because he's got a lot you know, in demand for what he's doing uh, on the civilian side and for the military. So that was a big adjustment as and three co-founders trying to figure out the roles and responsibilities who's going to do what as this startup company is trying to grow and expand its network and find the right people to assist us. Um, and so we were able to come to a mutual agreement and now it's Doug and I and Wow, we're just trying to figure out how this thing is going to go for the next couple of years as we're essentially, you know, we don't have an office. We don't need an office. So Doug is in Texas. I'm now in Arizona. And we can be anywhere in the world. There's some amazing startup companies, uh, especially other things started by veterans. They're just taking advantage of the modern technology that we have. You don't need to have a brick and mortar for a lot of your companies, especially for service-oriented companies like what we're doing,
0: yeah. What's your uh, What's your biggest blind spot? What are you guys uh, fearful of? Somebody else coming in and undercutting, or or doing something different than or or better than you guys are? What, what, how do you fix those blind spots?
2: Yeah, um, it's definitely possible. I mean, there there are so many veterans coming off of so uh, you know how many years of war we've been at in uh, the Middle East, especially, but elsewhere around the world. So there, there are a lot of people who have some relevant experience. I think what uh, Doug and I have talked about this, what's helping us is that there are a lot of people who just don't have that inertia to start their own business. They're very comfortable um, coming out of the military and just getting a job. That's OK. Maybe that's right for them. Um, but we didn't want to be the guys who just get a job. We wanted to be the ones who were growing our own company, making more money and calling the shots.
0: Yeah.
1: And from a competition standpoint, when we see competition coming into our area, to me, that's just validation that there's a need in this area. Um, Competition is is not a scary thing. I I think it just helps grow that particular area. You know, if you're the only guy that's out there making an electric car and nobody else is doing it, they're like, yeah, that's not the way to go. You may want to be worried. But if you're making an electric car and then everybody else starts making an electric car, you're like,
0: well, maybe I'm onto something here. Yeah, no, it's it's true, and it, and it makes it, uh, you know, it's sort of like having a workout partner, right? It motivates you to go harder and and keep going and push yourself. Um, you know, you talked, uh, uh, Doug, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, you know utilizing social network in your line of work. How how important is it to utilize things like social network and LinkedIn, Facebook, to to really get your message across and and find new experts. to to plug into your network?
1: Well, I I will say that this is where John's youth comes into play much better than mine. You know, um, not to uh, put an exact age on myself, but um, it, it is much more important than sometimes, and that's where I think some of the people in my position coming out of the military are not aware of and don't develop the skills. You have to develop the social media skills. You can't say, well, that's something that, you know, younger people do it's something that everybody does and if you want to be successful and it's the cheapest way to market mm-hmm. you know if it, you're not having to buy you know ad space in a newspaper you're not having to hope you know you can really reach masses much quicker and much cheaply more, much more cheaply than you ever could um so it's it's very key to our marketing strategy but it's also key to engaging our community and our community any community will stay engaged as long as there's somebody kind of driving that. And so we're constantly trying to find relevant content, you know, to push out to our community. One thing that we've just started is doing webinars. So we have this community of all these experts. Well, experts like to tell other people about their expertise. So we started holding monthly webinars where one of our experts can talk to anybody that's interested. So we'll send out to our 1400 people that, you know, uh, That we send out our newsletter to and say this person's doing a webinar next month on this topic everybody's welcome for free well that has been a great tool to and and very cheaply done to say you know what i kind of like being a network where they're constantly advertising me and i get to tell other people about what it is that i do so maybe a little bit more long-winded i intended to answer your question but um you know Very crucial to our growth.
0: I was just waiting for your Snapchat username. That's really what I was... (laughs) Uh, John, talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, what's the future? Where do you guys uh, hope to take three-order effects in, you know, two, three years? Yeah,
2: well, we're thinking for sure in the next 12 months to grow the company uh, dramatically. Uh, Doug had mentioned some of the numbers we have in the current network. Um, That's going to grow into the hundreds, and we hope by the end of the year, possibly up to 1,000. And then the network will continue to replicate itself. Um, we have some good goals for revenue this in 2019 and to, to market the company to uh, a lot more government agencies um, and to members of the military because we know they rotate every year. Every time, especially in your active duty, you're going to be in a position for two to three years and then you're going to rotate out. So we need to constantly be... Uh, marketing the company to people in those key positions who may hold the purse strings or may know that the demand signal is coming and that the match for our services is is a good one for them. Um, We also want to look at private industry in 2019. So not only government contracting, because that can often be uh, slow in in getting your money, but um, in the lead time required for the application to go in and get scored, et cetera. Um, We want to talk to more Private industry members who see some connection to the people in our network. Uh, we also want to talk to the prime contractors. We're still small; we'll probably be small for quite a while. Um, I think the the rules have recently changed from the three-year time limit to five years to be a small business and get set aside contracts. So we're going to take advantage of that yeah. and talk to some big companies who would, um, according to the government, you know, they would get a uh, like a a token for subcontracting with a service-disabled veteran-owned small business that we are. So we're going to take advantage of that as long as we have it until we ultimately grow to, you know, millions of dollars and we have to no longer be a small business. That'll be a good problem.
0: Yeah, it'll be a good problem to have, definitely. I love it. And, and you know, what I what I love is that you guys could easily plug into networks like, you know, I, I run a nonprofit called Patriot Bootcamp and we help veterans and military spouse startups grow and scale their businesses, right? But there's other organizations like ours, like Bunker Labs is another good one. Uh, Operation Code has a lot of really good uh, folks in there as well. So I could see you guys plugging into organizations like that just to the benefit of of whatever need there is on the federal side.
2: Yeah, good point. I'll say, Josh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the stuff you're doing is amazing. And I think what Doug and I have found over the the last couple of years of doing this company, Veterans and veteran entrepreneurs especially band together, and there's that common bond that we have where we look out for each other, and we found that there is enough money out there for us all to succeed. Yeah. you know, We've got a good company idea. We want to see people succeed. So we've been giving advice to people as we're trying to grow our company, and we're taking everything we can gather from others as well.
0: I love it. we got to have you guys out in Austin if you guys want to come out in February. We have Austin coming up. And Doug, Doug yeah, you're out in Texas? Weird.
1: Yes, I'm in Dallas, so not far from you.
0: Oh, I'll, I'll be emailing you when we get off the phone, uh, guys. Uh, we only have a few minutes, but I would love to hear any last words of wisdom that you would want to impart. I'm sure we have a lot of entrepreneurs, people that want to get in the industry, uh, listening to the podcast. Any uh, parting words of wisdom?
1: I think, and and I know that you see this as the host of the show and the other things you're involved in, but I think that we are in the greatest period of time since the end of World War II when those soldiers took the GI Bill and went out and became very successful people. The amount of wealth the veterans are going to create over the next decade, I don't think is is even. Um, I don't think we can quantify it yet. It is massive amounts of wealth and, and not just in business but in all parts of our country we see more veterans becoming you know get elected officials. Um, we see veterans taking positions in business everywhere and, not, and nonprofits and every aspect of our community. So this is a fantastic time. To be involved as a veteran in a business or anything else and as john said working together with other veterans there's probably not a closer group that wants to see each other succeed um, than any other you know alumni out there
0: i agree with that here here all right guys Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, We are going to wrap it up. And uh, you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in next week and every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Listen, learn, get shit done. Happy holidays, everybody. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10%